0: This is the EdTech Situation Room episode number 149 on September 25th, 2019. My name is Jason Neifer and I am the Assistant Director and Curriculum Director of the Montana Digital Academy, the state virtual school located on the University of Montana campus in fabulous Missoula, Montana. And joining me tonight, as always, Dr. Wes Fryer. Good evening, Wes. How are you this evening?
1: Good evening, Jason. I am fine. Man, am I ever ready for some cooler weather. It's like 87 degrees outside right now. So you'd think we're, you know, hanging out with Peggy George out in in Phoenix. But I am the technology integration and innovation specialist at the Cassidy School here in Oklahoma City, sporting my Story Chasers shirt that we uh, had at our podcasting event that we recently, recently had. And I, uh, yeah, I'm excited to... Talk some tech. There's some crazy Amazon announcements as well as continuing, you know, stuff with Apple, yada, yada, yada. So it's an interesting week.
0: There really is. And I do want to note, Wes, uh, next Tuesday, the low in Missoula is going to be 21 degrees. So if you need me to ship you via some sort of fiber optic line to Montana Weather, it appears we're going to be heading for a little early winter this year.
1: Just, you know, let, let me know about the, the job searches that may be, you know, happening in cooler weather. We'll just, we'll just sure. say that. We'll just save so.
0: it at that. Okay. <laughs> well, as, as you mentioned, Wes, lots of interesting things going on in the world, some, maybe some, some topics we don't often get to talk about. But before we do, the Tech Situation Room is a podcast where we examine headlines. We rip headlines out from the tech media and talk about them, uh, usually with an educational lens. And also, Wes and I are both story geeks, and so we like to kind of muse about the headlines and talk about a little bit about what's going on in the technological world. If you're interested in any link we talk about or to download past episodes or really look at any link we've talked about since the beginning of the show, 148 episodes ago, you can go to our website, www.edtechsr.com, and access all the show notes, all the links, everything we talk about here in the show. And so, Wes, where would you like to start tonight?
1: You know, uh, I think I'd like to go ahead and start with some of these announcements from um Amazon uh, but I do want to give everyone a shout out to the to the chat room uh we are able to see your comments and if you have anything you'd like to chime in with we can actually give voice to your comments here in our fancy streamyard interface here so uh yes Amazon uh according to Ars Technica on September 25th unleashes a bunch of new Echo devices including glasses and a ring so I think Jason you're one of the f- well, who knows? There may be more people around me. I'm just not aware of them who are, you know, experimenting both with the Amazon and the Google smart speaker world. We're continuing to just stick with the, uh, with the uh, Google uh, smart speaker. Um, but some kind of compelling stuff here. Um, I mean, it seems like there's, it's a spray. There's so much that they're going to just kind of see what sticks to the wall. Um, you know, most interesting is this ring that you can have that's going to have some haptic feedback to let you know. And, you, I mean, dude, it's like Sauron, right? Let's just, you know, just touch the ring and, you know, you're going to be able to uh, place place your orders. But um, it's called the Echo Loop. It's $129. And it's similar. That I thought the Echo Frame was pretty interesting. Um, I think that's the one where you plug it into an outlet. It, it has a USB charger. But uh, trying to, you know, get to this point where we we have basically ubiquitous access to computer, Earl Grey hot, Um Anywhere that we want, and um, I, I I will say on a, on a personal note, you know I think our next smart speaker related purchase i 'm tempted to have something that has some better better sound quality so they they announced the echo studio it 's two hundred dollars and it is to compete not only with apple 's home pod, which i don 't know who is actually paying that much money for a smart speaker um, but also the the Google home max and I am tempted by that we don 't have a smart speaker actually in our living room. And I would, I would love to be able to have, you know, some, some really high quality stereo sound because we're just using these little Google Home minis, you know, around the house. It's, it's been affordable. Um, but I do think that the echo, the, uh, what is it, the show? That's what, that's what, um, Amazon calls it, calls theirs. Um, and they have an Echo Show 8. So now they've got a 5, 8, and 10 inch, um, screen that, that also, you know, is the smart speaker. I'm interested in the, the Google equivalent to that just because of recipes and the kitchen and everything like that. So anyway, lots of announcements. Are you ready to abandon Google? Get the ring, Jason, and then just talk right to um, the Amazon overlords whenever, whenever needed because you'll have it right on your ring.
0: Well, so let's start with the two most ridiculous products, which are the glasses and the rings. And the one thing I want to note is these are by invitation only, and I'm not sure if I'm steep enough in the uh, uh, Amazon universe to get the nod. I'll be frank that in light of my general... Um, uh, uh, nerdiness to play with new gadgets, I'd happily purchase either of these products uh, to see what they look like. But the Echo Frames are kind of Google Glass-esque, other than they have no camera on them, and they're really intended to look like regular glasses, although of the thicker frame variety. And this is a gadget that essentially allows you to just talk to um, uh, uh, Madam A on the Amazon platform, and, uh, have something that's available to you all the time. And I'm sure it would, it would, it would work like the speaker does. You would say Madam A's name and then be able to say commands. And I'm pretty sure it talks either through Wi-Fi or perhaps with a, a low energy Bluetooth connection to your cell phone. And the echo loop, I'm not really entirely sure. I, I've seen several articles on this today other than it gives you some kind of, of haptic feedback and it supposedly gives you access to, um, the, the, the Madam A line, the, The issue, though, is that I'm not entirely sure, uh, you know, battery um, life-wise, the power of the radio in there to talk to phones. But all these are plays that I I think Amazon can be in an interesting space because they're not expected to release a phone. Um, They don't have to have a phone every year that's keeping up with this. They, I think, wisely got out of the phone business a couple years back after the Echo phone came out, which was a interesting Android-ish phone that uh, had a lot of interesting features on it but lacked the Google Play Store. Amazon gets to play in a space that no one else gets to play in because if they release ridiculous products, they're not. No one's going to question whether or not Amazon's dead because they're not a hardware company. They're a, a retailer that happens to be selling hardware to try to get you more hooked into the universe.
1: Well, and they're actually a cloud services company that makes the right. lion's share of their money. Someone was telling. Me, well, yeah, uh, they were telling me that at, at some point in the not too distant past, Apple was paying something like ninety million a month to Amazon for yep. cloud hosting. So, yeah. It's a, a company that we think of as a consumer products company, but which is actually making most of their money on, you know, hosting all these applications right. and things like that. And then they're also doing things like, you know, it's, it's a little bit like Alphabet with Google, right? They're able to do these pretty exciting things because they've got a core business that's, that's generating the revenue.
0: Right. And then the other headline from from this stuff, and a couple of other products we can talk about specifically, but they 're also looking to put the um, the voice uh, the voice uh, microphones in more areas around your house, and probably the one that 's most interesting is the echo flex the twenty five dollar product that uh, plugs into a power outlet. It's 2.8 by 2.6 by 2 inches and uh, covers up a a full power uh, outlet, but then puts a tiny speaker and then also a microphone in, a web-based microphone in to also let you talk to Madame A. And that this notion that you can get these devices all around your house whether you want bigger speakers in those rooms or not, it's very interesting that they're going in that direction. It's also announced today, and this is mentioned in several of the articles that we cite today that, uh, Amazon's also cognizant of the criticism that they and the other major players in uh, voice assistants have 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 uh, uh, been discovered that that they are utilizing contractors in some cases and not being as secure as they need to with with some of their private data. So, uh, one of the features announced today for Madam A is you can ask Madam A to forget the last thing you told her. So, if uh, uh, for real,
1: like how? Yeah, well, no yeah. verification of that. Forget it forever.
0: Right. And then also, my understanding is that there's more control going into, like, when you look at the archive of things. And, you know, um, again, a- Amazon's got more room to play here than Google and Apple does, in my opinion, Microsoft, for that matter. But, you know, they really seem to be going you know, pretty hard to the hoop on this notion of of intelligent personal assistance. And I have to say, if I compare the, the various platforms... um. I, Siri, in my mind, is dead last place. It makes Cortana look competitive. Uh, Cortana's just ahead of that, although um, because it's not you know uh, uh, native on a phone, it it may really not matter. And then it comes down to the Google Assistant and and um, uh, and the bottom line is is that uh, you know Google Assistant's okay, but most of the media seems to agree that the Google Assistant isn't powerful enough yet to become the primary interface between you and your devices, whereas I don't have a lot of complaints about Madam A. Like, I don't ask it to do much, and it's not, I'm certainly not doing a lot of, of critical interaction, but for what I ask it to do, which is turn things on and off, play music for me, um, uh, I occasionally ask it for traffic and weather information, it does that consistently without error, and I, it makes Amazon interesting and compelling, in my humble opinion.
1: A couple of humorous things. Number one, you know, being able to say, hey, forget this, you know, it reminds me of being in a webinar with a lot of folks when you've got the ability to mute everyone, and the ability to kick people out, you know, those are like superpowers that you might wish to have at a real face to face meeting, but never would. Um, and then similarly, I don't know, have you been confused on what to say? I mean, maybe I've said this in the show before, but talk about a Freudian slip. I mean, cause you know, talking to my phone, my iPhone, Hey, you know, uh, S and, um, in talking to Hey Hey G I've literally said, Hey God <laughs> <laughs> My wife is like I'm gonna get struck by lightning uh, but it is kind of confusing because you've got these different command words, and your brain, you know, starts to get trained. So I can just imagine now if if we get a uh, an Amazon smart speaker, it's gonna it's gonna get even more confusing. But I did drop into the show notes because we are talking about the educational and classroom applications of these things. Probably an article we've talked about before. This is a Susan Bearden article from the Ferpa Sherpa. And if you're not familiar with that, mm-hmm. it is a an excellent website uh, from the Education Privacy Resource Center, Bill Fitzgerald and others collaborate. But this is an article from November 18th, 2018 called Voice Assistance in the Classroom, Useful Tool or Privacy Problem. And I'll say that I have not visited with her, but I know we have at least one of our elementary teachers this year who has brought some kind of a smart speaker from home and I'm sure connected it to our school Wi-Fi. And she is using that and the kids have loved it. And I got to say that, yeah, I mean, as a teaching fifth and sixth grade this year. And hey, shout out to JD English, who is my original elementary principal from Wheelock Elementary way back in the mid 90s. Wow. Blast from the past. How cool. I bet that's a and he's on he's on uh, YouTube versus Facebook. Um, so I'm going to get my train of thought got lost there. I need a visit with her. Um, I am personally not terrified about, hey, you have a smart assistant in your classroom. Suddenly all your kids are going to lose all their privacy and devastating consequences are going to result. We do need to attend to to privacy and all these kinds of issues. I just think this is an example of where the home – with the Internet of Things and, and smart speakers and things like that is just continuing to be ahead of where we are in the classroom and in school. I am using voice to to text technology every single day. I am saying things to my phone. I am, you know, dictating. Uh, we are not uh, subscribing to a tool like ReadWrite for Google, uh, which can really, you know, amp up the speech to tech capabilities. And, and frankly, it's not just kids who may have a an academic plan or need some modifications. I mean, anybody, anybody can benefit from those kinds of tools. So anyway, I'm going to visit with that teacher and find out kind of what she's doing. Um, not because I'm like, well, I'm not the technology director anymore. Uh, so I'm not interested in shutting that down, but I'm interested in it. And, and honestly, I want one in my classroom too, right? Because at home, I'm asking all these questions. <clears throat> I don't know that I'm going to have this as a geek of the week, but i would listened to a two-hour-plus Interview with Elon Musk this week, and there was so much profanity by the interviewer that I'm, I'm hesitant to recommend it as a geek of the week. But, you know, he was talking about how we are becoming transhuman with our phones, even though they're not jacked into our brains and he's doing Neuralink and this other stuff. How capable are you with a smartphone and a smart speaker? How many questions can you answer? How, you know... If you want to know something, and of course it's not always going to be accurate and lots of stuff's coming from Wikipedia and, you know, there's these different issues, but we are kind of merging with our technology and this is the trajectory that we're on. And I just, again, think about the classroom. I had this thought very strongly in in like the, the mid-2000s when <laughs> – I could video conference with much more speed and quality at my house than I could at the main downtown offices of AT&T because they didn't have, you know, available to us at that time, just the kind of the, the same kind of bandwidth that I had at my house. So anyway, thinking about the, the educational connections, have you heard of anybody using a smart speaker in the classroom, Jason? And are they, is this affecting you at all in the Montana digital Academy and in the virtual world?
0: It's not. Although I, I would like to mention that uh, full disclosure, I am a researcher in this area and my doctor. Doctoral dissertation was about intelligent personal assistance in the classroom. Mine was limited to Siri on an iPad, so it was not an intelligent speaker, but as part of that research, I have had probably a dozen people come to me and tell me a little bit about um, their, their, their attempts to bring these technologies in their classroom to, for conversational purposes, and I will say that I've made a decision myself. One thing I love about uh, the Amazon Echo speakers is that they are really solid Bluetooth speakers, and they also go down in price dramatically once the new edition is released. And so um, I picked up for my parents who are very new to smart speaker world and I recently discovered Spotify, I picked them up a refurbished generation one Amazon Echo speaker, the, the, the kind of taller one, which has a beautiful sound and pretty loud for $19 refurbished on Woot. And, you know, it was uh, almost an impulse purchase and purchased it for my parents uh, because it was kind of their first view into the speaker world. But the thing that is interesting to me about that is that I have chosen myself not to put a speaker into my office that's a smart speaker because I have been, I feel like appropriately warned by the stories from the past couple of years, entire conversations have been uh, archived and sent to others. Accidentally. Accidentally. Yep, accidentally. And, um, you know, you can say phrases that your smart speaker picks up and interprets as call another person. And, you know, I, um, am in a, in a private office. I have to refer to student data quite a bit. I talk on the phone with teachers and parents and site facilitators all the time and have conversations with my colleagues that it would not be appropriate for that information to be archived anywhere. And FERPA is, is the primary reason there. But also, I mean, I just, I want, want to be a good actor in this space, and so I've chosen not to put a smart speaker in my office, even though they're they're wonderful Bluetooth speakers. And I think that's something we need to be conscious of. And I don't remember the name of the product, but a couple of years back, I was at a uh, a state tech directors meeting in Chicago and actually listened to a demo from a company, a startup company that was looking to create Amazon uh, uh, Echo. Apps that plug into SIS's so teachers could have conversations with their, um, their echoes on student data. And of course, the FERPA alarm was, was just screeching in my head because, you know, like it's not, you know, it's a it's a novel idea to create new ways to interact with data, but we I think we just do need to be hypersensitive that consumer technologies, right? These are not educational technologies, these are not office technologies, they're not enterprise technologies, are consumer technologies may or may not have a role in the classroom, whether they're novel or even useful or not. And that's something I think we need to be extremely cognizant of.
1: We may not be ready today, but I certainly think that, you know, I mean, we are working on keyboarding. My kids are on typing.com, which is, you know, free with the cost of a few ads that, you know, it's, it's good. They're, they're, they're learning, learning home row, they're typing, they're keyboarding. I think that's, it is still an important skill, but there are also these other input uh, methods that we have. And uh, I definitely think as we look to the future, you know, it's, it, we're not, we're not limited today to the keyboard as far as, you know, text entry sure. and it's going to, it's going to continue to, it's going to be a maturing technology. So as we've seen with other things, the bleeding edge of technology may not necessarily be ready for the mainstream. It may not be ready for the classroom and perhaps the smart speaker fits into that kind of a category. But <clears throat> the idea of being able to use natural language to be able to get information and then to also be able to do things. Uh, is pretty powerful, so I have to say this. This conversation tonight makes me think for the first time maybe it would be good to you know dabble a little bit in the in the Amazon world and, and then be able to compare a little bit. But I've I just have trusted Google more than I have Amazon, and I know that's not. Certainly a universal sentiment that, that people have. Any other Amazon articles there in that collection? Which, by the way, we want to remind people, you can go to edtechsr.com slash links, and you can see the Google Doc of all the links that we have. More this week, I'm sure, than we'll have time to talk about. Um, any other Amazon ones or products that you wanted to mention? Sure. Two quick ones, and maybe just a quick bit of analysis on each. Uh, they also announced something called Echo
0: Buds today, which are uh, wireless earbuds, and the uh, they have Bose noise canceling built into them. And, of course, they have Madam A built into it as well, so that smart functionality is there. The reason why I think this is interesting is because I did buy – this was – eight or nine weeks ago, a pair of those wireless earbuds from one of the the popular, it might have been Anchor, Aki, or one of those groups, and they lived up to what the reviews suggested they were. They were interesting and novel, but not very industrial. And although these are not cheap at $129, I do think that Amazon, simply because they tend to have very liberal return policies with their uh, Amazon-branded equipment, tend to, you know, put out things that are pretty solid. So I'm excited about the notion that wireless earbuds um, on the the Android side of the world uh, are have some possibility of being a little more robust than they currently are. And then they also announced today uh, something called the Eero Mesh Router, which is a $99 mini router that you can buy multiples of and put them in your house for mesh routing. Um, mesh routing, if that's uh, new to you, utilizes smaller, uh, less capable wireless routers that sit in various places around your house to create what's called a mesh network. So it can create um, a much more robust network by putting little tiny wireless nodes around your house that communicate with one another. Um, I use uh, uh, Google for that. There's a, the Google router is an excellent um, a, a, a mesh router system that I utilize with just two nodes, and I'm able to cover a relatively large house, square footage-wise, with with just two pieces. And I think it's very interesting and and probably a good thing that Amazon's getting into that space. They also happen to have microphones in them, so you can talk to Madam A and and talk to that that ecosystem. And so I guess the big takeaway from today is that Amazon really is looking to integrate itself all over your house, so you can talk to. Madam Adam A, get access to all those various services of whatever value that that appears to be. um, And, you know, order stuff, certainly, but also talk to this large cloud that Amazon's put together.
1: And on that note, I've said it before on the show, I think, but it is a huge speed improvement at our house to have moved to the uh, Google Wi-Fi. In fact, I just prioritized my laptop, which this show has been Generally fine, but it's kind of cool to be able to just open up the app and do that. Um, but I was only able to get maybe 40 or 50 megs down over Wi-Fi right in our living room next to, you know, where our uh, our wireless base station was. And this was the Apple Extreme um, Time Capsule, uh, probably a, you know, $300 or so device back in the day. And... Um, the you know going to this the Google I'm I'm able to get the full three hundred down and this was on the same laptop by the way so definitely the you know protocols and and the wireless uh, antenna capabilities and all that of, of devices are different you know from smartphone to smartphone model as well as laptop but same laptop just different Wi-Fi incredible unbelievable so much faster so much better and the coverage is better around the house. Um, so I'm, you know, interested to see this. I, I think that Eero, <clears throat> I almost was getting an Eero. And then when Amazon bought them, I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Um, from what I understand their technology and the services and things like that, that they had on top were maybe ahead of where, uh, where Google, you know, has been with their wifi. But anyway, if you're not, if you're not using mesh wifi, you know, certainly at school, you should be those, the the new access points and, we're, we're on a, about a five-year cycle at school, and man, it's, I think it's going to be a huge, huge, noticeable improvement when we, you know, recycle all of those access points and everything, you know, gets updated to the latest and the greatest. So, Jason, if you were going to start on a smart speaker now at home, would you would you go with Amazon? Is that would that be your your recommendation for people who haven't jumped into that yet?
0: I would start with Amazon unless you are so partisan to one of the other ecosystems that, uh, it it only makes sense to go, go in that direction. And what I mean by that is that, you know, if you're using an Android phone and a Windows laptop and also have an iPad, um, uh, that, that's the time to get Amazon. If you happen to be all in on one of the ecosystems, you are one of the few people left with an Android tablet and you're using a Pixelbook and you've got a, a Pixel phone, you know, by all means, utilize the, the Google products. Or if you're all in on Apple, the best thing about Apple stuff is that if you're all in on the ecosystem, all that stuff works so well together that it's, it's seamless. It, it's very thoughtful in its integration. But minus those two scenarios, go with Amazon.
1: Okay, and a question from the chat room. JD's asking about mesh routing. Would that help a shop that's not presently hardwired? I definitely think mesh Wi-Fi, uh, mesh access points are going to be the way to go. Uh, no matter you know for for whatever Wi-Fi. I mean, old Wi-Fi. You know, just in terms of the number of antennas and the way the communication happened and the limitations in it. There's a lot more bandwidth that can uh, be exchanged via the mesh antennas. So yes, uh, hard wiring is still a, a probably the best option. But like I said, I mean, here our son, uh, who is you know a senior in college now, if you can believe that. Um, you know, his room is is back in the back of our house and he's had a lot of trouble with his gaming. He plays Overwatch and, you know, it's just, we've tried to, we've run cables and things like that. You know, it's, it, it's a game changer to have the mesh Wi-Fi in terms of the speed, not only, you know, closer, but, but everywhere. So yes, go, <clears throat> go with mesh wifi. Uh, and this is good news from Amazon that it's coming down in price, right? Cause the Eero, like the Google, I think was is more in the several hundred dollar range. Well, uh I'd like to talk a little bit about some media literacy articles. And um, there are a couple. One of them is uh, from a, a blog called Popular Information, uh, which, again, you're like, what is that? Uh September 23rd, 2019. This is an independent journalist, and the title of the article is Massive I Love America Facebook Page Pushing Pro-Trump Propaganda is Run by Ukrainians. And so – We've talked about this before in the show. It's extremely difficult to know where, you know, different uh, social media pages and things like that are coming from, who's operating them, what is their agenda, you know. And in this case, um, some very popular, like we're talking millions of followers uh, who have an I Love America page. Uh, They shared a lot of pictures of cute dogs and animals. Um, And then there's – some other ones that are pro that are Christian purportedly Christian pages and uh, you know talking about Jesus and it turns out these are being run out of the Ukraine which we're not a political show and we're not going to talk uh, I don't think about some of the uh, news relating to the Ukraine Jason says no don't even go there <laughs> um, but you know because of an IP address you can you can find out and people can, can tell uh, where things appear to be coming from there are these things called Uh, VPNs, virtual private networks and Tor browsers and things that do obfuscate such things. But anyway, this is an example of um, a case where independent journalism has led Facebook to take some things down that apparently were uh, intended to cause greater polarization, you know, among the American electorate and um, basically mislead people. And so uh prior to the publication of this article Facebook was saying in response to complaints oh this doesn't violate our terms oh this is fine folks here you you heard it here I don't know if you heard it here first or not but if if you go back on our shows you can you've heard it here and you'll hear us say it again <clears throat> we ain't seen nothing yet I mean, the, the ways in which social media has been weaponized is continuing to be weaponized. There are apparently some additional you know, staff and steps that are being taken in this game of cat and mouse of trying to identify, quote, bad actors. But that is such a challenge today for every single platform. The size and scope of, of Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and these social media platforms is, is really stunning. So I commend that article to you. And a shout out to Brian Turnbull who is uh, my friend from the Chicago area that I met at the Summer Institute for Digital Literacy up in Providence, Rhode Island. And he's continuing to feed me a wealth of different articles and links periodically that relate to disinformation, especially the way that social media platforms um, have, have, it's just really hard to tell who the source is and, you know, the validity of of the content. And so on that same note, um, I learned about this from the this uh this weekend. No, it was wasn't this week in tech. Um, ugh, I'm gonna have to go to my Twitter to to get the source. But anyway, the article is from data and society on September 18th It's called deep fakes and cheap fakes. This is a great article. And so one of the things teaching fifth and sixth grade this year, uh, we're like we have four different Um, main areas where we're focusing digital literacy. And that's a lot of skills of being able to create media and share media, Um, media literacy. And that's where this comes in. Like, what's the source, you know, advertising, how are people trying to hack our brains? We've got digital citizenship and then also just some basic keyboarding skills. And so this is a report Britt Paris and John Donovan published um, and here's a quotation from it. New media technologies do not inherently change how evidence works in society. What they do provide are new opportunities for the negotiation of expertise and therefore power. And it talks about, it defines a deep fake video as one that has been altered through some form of machine learning to, quote, hybridize or generate human bodies and faces, which is like, you know, putting, um, you know, uh, your face on a, a Leonardo DiCaprio uh, video or, you know, um, taking uh, some famous celebrity or something like that and making them say whatever they want. That's a deep fake. A cheap fake they define as an a- an audiovisual or AV manipulation created with cheaper, more accessible software or none at all. Cheap fakes can be rendered through Photoshop, lookalikes, recontextually. Recontextualizing footage, speeding or slowing, it says thanks to social media, both kinds of manipulation can be spread at unprecedented speeds. And then at the very top of the article, they've got a spectrum diagram. This is fantastic. This is a great resource to think about using in media literacy lessons if you're going to be doing those, or you are doing those with your students. Um, the kinds of tools that are available, right? I mean, uh, I think I mentioned on the show in a moment of sleep deprived weakness. I picked up the iPhone 11 pro and it is pretty phenomenal. I mean, I stepped up from the seven plus, so that's a, that's a big jump in capability, but you know, it's, it's incredible the kinds of power we have at our fingertips today. So recommend this. I had not heard of the cheap fakes, uh, acronym or, or terminology. And so, uh, anyway, I think that was, that's a pretty, uh, useful article and a good framework, the shout-out for that goes to uh, Tech News Weekly, and that is a Twit podcast, but it's one that I listen to periodically. I actually have it on the rotation on my Google Home. When I say, hey, gee, what's the news, it eventually gets around to that because you can tell at your lineup. So, Jason, are you at all concerned about deep fakes and uh, cheap um, fakes that are going to be utilized in this lovely political uh, election environment that we're Hurtling through and into. Oh, my gosh, he's gone. I've asked a question and he's disappeared. Oh, but he's back. All right. There he's back. You disappeared briefly. Hi. The, the, the mere possibility of, of politics caused your image to to freeze. You are, sure? you, are you, are you, are you, are you confer- concerned about deep fakes and cheap fakes right now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And part of it is because, I mean, it was interesting two years ago when they released that, uh, uh, fake Obama video that, you purported know, having, uh, President Obama, you know, speak of, uh, something he hadn't said. And it was interesting. It still looked uh, just a slight touch artificial but that technology has evolved so dramatically in the last 24 months. And unfortunately, I think it's difficult to, it's obviously difficult now to do a comprehensive job of, of being your own fact checker, right? I think the internet is full of so much misinformation and disinformation that it's difficult sometimes to find sources to confirm things, but it's even that much more difficult when video can be easily faked, right? It's not unlike the Photoshopping incidents of 15, 20 years ago. Think about the early Bush administration where uh, Uh, Photoshopping wasn't really a a verb um, and a noun that was something that was referred to frequently when, when criticizing media. And in fact, journalists had to come up with ethics uh, documents and, and talk about what is ethical for news to do to create better shots, you utilizing uh, image manipulation technology. And we're going to have to have similar conversations regarding video because it's going from a possibility, a theoretical possibility that someone could deep fake a video uh, of a politician to something that would be really hard to distinguish from real life. And um, yeah, I am very concerned and I do feel like it does ratchet up the whole notion of manufactured proof and manufactured perspective well beyond what we already have with just fake text and fake photos.
1: So I'm going to go ahead and do a shout out to uh, something I think I, we've mentioned before. Um, this is uh, Mike Caulfield's framework for digi- for media literacy uh, and it's called SIFT, the four moves. I'll drop this link into the show notes. And one of the things that, uh, we need to be aware of is when we 're emotionally moved by something, uh, step one of sift is stop The four steps are to stop, investigate the source, find better coverage, and then trace claims, quotes, and media to the original context so this is an, a revised and updated media literacy framework uh, basically for trying to not to, to not be tricked to be savvy and so whenever we talk about deep fakes, we talk about uh, the weaponization of social media, propaganda. I mean, even advertising, right? That's the basis for all of this. And that's what I'm really starting off with my fifth graders this year with. It's not, you know, hey, the weaponization of, you know, political, you know, memes and things from politics by, you know, foreign actors. I mean, we're not going there. Um, thinking about, though, advertising, the power of images, the power of messages, the ways in which text is juxtaposed on top of images, all that kind of stuff. Um, I will put a link into that and a shout out to Dave Quinn, who has been on the show before, Quinn on Twitter, he is the one who is the great connector with all that. Um, JD's asking a question, which I'll toss to you, uh, Dr. Neifer. Is video manipulation a concern for schools? Life bullying? Any, any thoughts there?
0: I do think it's a concern. And, um, I will tell you that, uh, as these technologies become more accessible and maybe are even integrated into mainstream uh, video suites like for example something that Adobe might offer uh, and it's not that Adobe would be looking to help people fake things up but rather the deep fake technology we're talking about has its roots in animation and other legitimate forms of expression right in regards to 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 kind of d- displaying what's going on in, in, in the world or in someone's head or in someone's artistic vision but yeah I do think there's a, a, a big issue there and you know let's be honest part of the reason why social media has been problematic with adolescents is because adolescents sometimes just don't get it, right? They don't understand the impact that seemingly innocent things could have on another person. It's just part of the development cycle, right? If a, I feel like I should mention Kohlberg at this point and other prominent uh, 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 scholars in the field in regards to adolescent development. But yeah, absolutely, I'm concerned about that. And, you know, like if a video shows something that's scandalous, that's a deep fake video, even if if it's fake and proven to be fake, the damage is done by the time it's spread around. So, yeah, absolutely, I'm concerned about that. And, you know, it's in the same way that I'm concerned about Photoshopping photos and purported fake text and all sorts of things that I think can be tools for, uh, you know, uh, bringing out the worst of humanity as opposed to the best
1: and let's note that there have been some tools actually taken out out of you know public circulation i'm sure they're you know who knows if they're still on the dark web, but I'm thinking about some of the machine learning text generators i mm-hmm. mean they're so good uh, and these things are out in the wild i mean it's we've Talk about on the show and reference some different videos in the um, the workshop I, I put together in April for the Atlas Conference called Filtering the Exoflood. You can get that at slash exoflood I'll put that in the show notes. Um, you know, it's unbelievable the quantity of of video that is being produced now, and then also text articles, and just it's just um, it's a torrent not only of legitimate content because we are seeing that, right? Just in terms of, of real news articles, the access to information, but the purposeful creation of disinformation and misleading information. Um, and so, yes, I think, you know, that, that is probably unfortunately coming to a teen smartphone near you in terms of these capabilities. We talked in the show either last week or the week before that there was an app in China that hit their app store was super popular. And it took like, as an example, all these famous or whatever Hollywood clips of Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, and you could put your face, you know, very readily just here, take your picture with your phone. And then the the app processed it and, and created it. So, I don't think we have to probably work very hard to think about, you know uh, other kinds of videos that um, people might be able to, you know, readily we revenge porn is a thing. Right. Um, And there's also just uh, we, we hear about these things with, with celebrities, maybe a little bit more than we hear about them affecting other people, but there's all kinds of ways that people can not only hack your device and, and, you know, use your own media against you, but completely fabricate and create uh, media. And um, it's, it it can be a rather horrific environment of darkness that is out there and we hope that our children are going to be shielded from those things that we're not going to be you know facing the the brunt of that as well but we've had that caution on the show before talking about you know what we discuss what we pub- what we publish what we what we put out there um, these platforms like Reddit and other things can can make something go viral like that. And that's also something I think we need to be aware of in the political environment that we're in is there's a lot of groups ready to jump on, you know, any, any kind of article or video that is going to really amplify a message that they want. And so there's things that are being amplified way beyond how they ever would have been in a, you know, mainstream media day. But because we're not living in that day anymore um, – we have the opportunity and, and, and the potential to be the amplifiers. And so that means we have a responsibility for that. So what else would you like to talk about tonight, Dr. Neifer, besides this heavy media literacy stuff?
0: Sure. Let's go back to some nerd releases. Uh, Wes, so I know you mentioned that you are a, you're a, a, an owner or at least an orderer of the iPhone 11 Pro. It's not the Pro Max, so you've got it in hand.
1: Yeah, this is the the Pro, no Pro Max, but my screen is uh I think even a little bit larger than it was with the 7 Plus and I've gone back to the smaller form factor. It is it is amazing.
0: And any quick early review? Uh,
1: you know, cameras just pretty pretty phenomenal. Uh our our daughter is on the varsity volleyball team and so uh, you know, shooting shooting pictures, uh, you know, live pictures that, and then being able to to, you know, telephoto in, um, it's just, it's, it's incredible. Um, I mean, I've, I've made a multi-generation leap in, in quality. Um, but I don't think, or I mean in, in, in the model, right. Cause I was on an, a seven plus and right. it's been a while since I've upgraded, but yeah, I think the, the wide angle photo, <laughs> I actually smoked some brisket this weekend and my daughter shot, I, I did a little how to video and I thought, thought maybe she'd have time to edit it. I don't think she is. I'm going to have to edit it myself. But you know the video angles, the quality. Um, our new IT manager at school went to our uh, local Oklahoma City fair, and so that's a you know kind of classic. <laughs> excuse me, classic environment to get video of um, merry-go-rounds and and you know bright bright lights and all that kind of stuff. And it just it looks like professional videography in terms of the quality uh, of what he what he shot. It's just it's pretty stunning. So. Uh, yeah it is it is expensive and it's you know a little bit embarrassing but it is the, true that that t mobile was giving me is giving me three hundred and fifty dollars for my seven plus and that's a great trade in so Anyway, that that uh, lightens the the burden a little bit. So I know you're being tempted, Jason, by the uh, the Apple Watch. So any any more movement there towards the the Apple ecosystem? I know you've still got some Chrome and Android articles here in the show. So I'm guessing you know you you haven't uh, abandoned the the Android and Google faithful yet.
0: I have not, although I am doing the mass move over of my family to join me on T-Mobile next weekend. And so that includes uh, parents, in-laws, and my wife will be moving uh, there. They've been on Verizon uh, because it, of the, the network in Montana wasn't was built out on T-Mobile. Now it is built out. Uh, the We're moving to T-Mobile and that's going to require phone upgrades. And so my, my in-laws and my wife are moving to iPhone eights, brand new iPhone eights that we're going to buy direct from Apple. Our phones are older, old enough. We have some, some five, a five S a couple of sixes and a six S in our family that, uh, are not new enough to justify, um, uh, uh, any, any real bonus from T-Mobile to move over, but I guess the upside to that is, is that, um, uh, we're gonna be paying half the price we were for more data, uh, on the T-Mobile network, but I, I am tempted, I, in fact, I, I dug out my old, uh, uh, Mac uh, or MacBook Air at work and started uh, kind of carrying that around with me a little bit just to kind of get reversed back in that environment. And I you know the, the watch is extremely tempting. I am hoping, and and I don't think I put an article this time around, although there's a lot of of, of hubbub about it. There is some wistful thinking by the Android faithful that in the upcoming event on October 14th in, uh, I think it's in New York city, the, the Google event will include a, a, some kind of Google uh a built watch, which would be something to kind of kickstart that environment, and you know, obviously, there's there's a wide gap between where where Android is right now and where the Apple universe is on watches, and I'm not sure if if Google can even really invest uh, uh, enough to catch up in any sort of meaningful amount of time without, you know, uh, uh, maybe throwing money down a hole. But I have some hope they'll go in that direction. But yeah, I am tempted, but I'm not there yet.
1: So let's go ahead and do a couple uh, more Apple articles. uh, Gizmodo on September 25th has the article, Stop What You're Doing and Upgrade to iOS 13.1 Right Now. Um, But I'm going to say from an educational standpoint, watch out. (laughs) We are using what is called, I think, Dibbles 8 uh, for reading assessments. And one of the warnings that they had about iOS 13 was, you know, may not be app compatible. So in terms of updating your fleet of iPads, you know, we use a, as most schools do now, a mobile device manager to do that. Um, Definitely want to make sure you've got, solid app compatibility with your key apps before you push that kind of thing out. But on a personal basis, um, there are some things the article says iOS 13.1 has, especially for, for the newer iPhones. Um, and I think, and I haven't downloaded it yet, but the new iPad OS has dropped. And so if you have an iPad, then that is something that, you know, for instance, is going to be offering the, the same kind of functionality in Google Docs. I've got our Google Doc open right now on my iPad. But when I choose to edit it, I kind of have to take exclusive ownership over that. Like, I can't see the live. I don't know how that exactly works, you know, if we have some simultaneous edits submitted. But basically, I don't get to see live editing um, in the this older version. But now with OS, supposedly right within the Safari browser, I'm going to have that same kind of experience like I would have on a laptop. And then the other article I would point you to, well, actually there's two New York times on September 17th has the uh, iPhone 11 and I and 11 pro review thinking differently in the golden age of smartphones. And I think a lot of us have already been thinking differently. Uh, He's saying, you know, we shouldn't be upgrading every two years. Well, I think, I mean, I've been saying that for a while. We haven't been doing that. <clears throat> so he's saying, look at the OS. And for instance, an iPhone 5 you know, will not run the latest iOS 13. So that's, that's certainly a reason to think about coming is when you can't upgrade to the latest operating system. But the really great article, and a shout-out to Kevin Jarrett, who uh, shared this with me over Twitter, uh, this is from Austin Mann, who is a photographer that's with Yo-Yo Ma in China, and is a is a professional photographer. It's called iPhone 11 Pro Camera Review China. Wow! You want to see some incredible images that take advantage of the low light features of the wide angle? I mean, these are stunning pictures. One just outside, you know, the the uh, uh, window of his aircraft but there's there's one with these mountains in the background at night and this older Chinese gentleman there's a lantern there on the water I mean oh my gosh this was taken on the same phone that I'm holding in my hand right now unbelievable so those are a few few Apple articles to peek at anything else in the Apple world Jason to draw our attention to
0: Sure. Uh, I did read a lot of the articles about some of the, the, the great features in the new iPhone are, are worth looking at, but I do want to note uh, Wired has a great article for September 19th that talks about the A13 chip, which is the new uh, CPU that is backing the uh, the new iPhones, and uh, it does talk about how they're able to offer a much more powerful experience with a much more battery-sipping um, a system on a chip, which is really exciting. And I would say that one of the great advantages that that Apple has is they design the hardware and the software, which means they don't have to design software that, that works with a lot of different scenarios. They can really narrow that down to the hardware they're designing, which means there's a tight fit between hardware and software, which allows it to do things like have great battery life and a very responsive operating system. And So if you are geeky and interested in that, that Wired article is pretty extraordinary.
1: Peggy has posted a question I'll uh, amplify here. She says, do you know if there's a problem having iPhone and iPad on different operating systems, 12 and 13, uh, her phone, she is not able to update? Um, I would say it's just going to depend upon the app and the usage um, and then also the feature set, you know, some of the things with, like, handoff." <clears throat> when you copy a link on one device and it comes over, um, I mean, I, it's, it's probably just going to more be apps. And I don't know if you're going to notice, you know, that much. I, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, um, right now. But, um, for sure, I think we, you know, need to, need to consider, um, you know, these devices certainly last a long time in the Apple world. Uh, and it's wonderful. It's great to get that return on investment. But as you start to be left behind as far as operating systems, um, I think that that probably is a reason to consider, depending upon context, whether or not you want to look at a new device. And we'll do a, another shout out to Swappa, and also I'll say eBay. I sold and just sold yesterday <clears throat> our old Apple Time Capsule for like eighty-five bucks on eBay. I just shipped that uh, shipped that off today, and then Swappa. We've been buying you know some used smartphones. I was not able, however, to sell my iPhone five, so that's something else to think about. Like, how long are you going to hang on to it? Are you going to be able to get any money for it? I mean, I think I was trying to sell it for like forty bucks or something like that, and yeah, so that it cuts different ways <clears throat> if you want to get the technology that's that old. Hey, you can get that a basement bargain price, <clears throat> but it's not going to run the latest operating system, and you know there's going to be some some downsides to that. Where else, sir?
0: well um let's see let's oh let's do a quick security article this I thought was super interesting uh phone arena report on September 20th they warned with a kind of a clickbait headline uninstall these two Android apps now and they pointed out uh two apps that both happen to be I think kind of aimed at kids because they uh, were huge security risks and also um uh, uh, utilized an adware platform that that uh, stole you know cycles from your phone Right, they they ran things in the background that were um, uh, uh, taking up uh, uh, the power of your phone. But the reason why I thought this was interesting is because both these apps, one of them was called the Sun Pro Beauty Cam, and the other one was the Funny Sweet Beauty Cam. Both of them happened to be. Uh, uh, I think, aimed at kids. And one of the things that has been a criticism of the Play Store, the uh, the Android market for apps, is that there's just not as much uh, 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 vetting of those apps before they're allowed to go live, whereas Apple tends to be a little more hardcore about that. And uh, last week, there was articles about several VPN apps, uh, virtual private network apps that were free VPNs that look like were kind of aimed at uh, unsophisticated users and especially students that were looking to get around blocks that may exist on school Wi-Fi networks, and they also harvested a lot of data and and were nefarious in nature. So again, installer beware.
1: Definitely. I put a, a couple articles down at the bottom that really didn't fit into any category. Um, the first one is from NPR on September 23rd. The headline is, Instagram head Adam Masseri discusses apps' new features meant to fight bullying. Uh, we referenced bullying tonight in the show, talking about deep fakes and the potential for videos to, to be used in those kinds of ways. Um, this is a great interview. Again, I heard this on my Google smart speaker, um, cause you can set up, you know, when you say, Hey, hey, gee, what's the news? You know, it'll go through, you know, the weather and, um, you know, headlines. And, and one of the things I get is the NPR technology, uh, recent, uh, recent articles or recent, you know, episodes. And um, one of the things that's fascinating is, you know, his kids are like, you know, I don't even know if they're in elementary school yet. And so here's the actual head of Instagram who doesn't have a teenager in his house. It, it does sound good that they're listening to teens. And one of the things that's fascinating is they're trying to give uh, users <clears throat> the tools to do things that are more uh, subtle and powerful than just blocking. Okay, because one of the things they talk about is, and teens have told them, if if people are talking about them, if they're being bullied, they want to know what people are saying. And so they have some tools now where they can put somebody in some kind of a shadow status. I forget exactly what it's called, but basically the person doesn't realize that their comment hasn't been allowed on the post and they can then decide whether or not to allow it or not. Um, anyway, it's just, it's interesting. And, it's important to follow that kind of stuff, right? Kids today, I'm firmly, firmly believe, um, you know, have the advantage of being able to connect with their friends without face to face getting out of the house. I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, you'll hear a lot of kids who aren't as excited about getting their driver's licenses. Maybe we were back in the day, but they also have to contend with this landscape of communication, which can often be hostile and doesn't end when they leave school. And so, I think it's an article worth taking a look at. And then the other one I'll mention is a screen time article. We've talked a lot about this on the show. This is a CNN article from September 23rd, and it's titled, Not All Screen Time Causes Kids to Underperform in School. Oh, my gosh. This goes back to the 80s. This is a meta-analysis. And, I mean, the number one big thing they find is that screen time is not correlated to performance in school. However, when they break things down, they find that watching TV and video games apparently are. But then they go into all these recommendations and what's a parent to do and blah, blah, blah. Okay, none of that is based on the research. And I don't even think this research is credible because it's a meta-analysis of such different screen time, right? The screen time of today. uh, Yes, there is just watching Netflix, you know, watching TV, but the kinds of, you know, active screen time usage uh, with the ways that video games have changed and then also social media and then other kinds of creative things, you know, that kids can do. Um, I don't know. It's when you see these kind of articles too, you you realize that they are looking for eyeballs and this, you know, as we would certainly be able to tell you in terms of (laughs) research and and academic research, you know, this is not the kind of thing that you're going to want to be judging your uh, decisions as a parent or a teacher, you know, solely based on, but they do have some detail about the 2016 updates, um, to the guidelines on screen time that are from the American association of, uh, uh, pediatricians, AAP. And, you know, like for sure under 18, don't let any kids, you know, be exposed to screen media unless they're video chatting with their, uh, with their grandparents or their parents. And, um, you know, the being aware of what the, how those, uh, Recommendations have changed, and you know limitations on screen time, et cetera, et cetera. There's some value to the article, but I think in some ways it's a little clickbaity, and it goes into stuff that doesn't have anything to do with that research. You know, it, and and again, we're trying to build the plane as we fly it, and we're having this massive experiment on thousands and millions of of not only young. Minds and eyes, but all of us as adults, you know, what are the long term implications of merging with our with our technology. So thoughts, Jason, on on screen time or uh, talking a little bit about Instagram and bullying and those kinds of features. Did you did you see anything like that with your exchange student? Was he aware of any kind of social media negative use? yeah absolutely
0: and uh one thing I will say that that is was very encouraging as part of of our time with with our exchange students. I do feel like that they're cognizant uh, students are cognizant of 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 the potential of these both good and bad and i I do think that there is some self regulation that that is is starting to appear amongst preteens and teens and maybe even going into twenty somethings too that, that you would assume is happening anyways because of the whole frontal lobe development thing, right? As part of the developmental cycle of humans. But I yeah, definitely we 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 did have to have conversations with with our with our exchange student um who was an eighteen year old man, right? Let's say he turned eighteen uh, four weeks after showing up. So he's 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 an adult by you know all stretch all all definitions of adulthood in the United States, right? But you know, I that notion of, of of being conscious about of, about what you're saying and putting online dis- those discussions, even though he's an exceptionally responsible dude, um, you know, we're we're important to have, and yeah, and I I, um, I don't know, like I. Not that I, I, am against anti-bullying at all. I just think it's complicated because bullying is, is an age-long problem. It's not something that's new and it's been around since well before there was social media. And I'm not sure if we have all the answers yet on how to eliminate that. Um, as, and as, 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 reductionistic and, and probably as cheesy as it sounds, I think part of it is we need to continue to push kindness with kids, right? Like it's really easy to to be uh, antisocial, I think. You can even get you social connections with others, right? But the bottom line is, is that we, we have to encourage everyone to be civil and we have to encourage everyone to be kind.
1: Absolutely. One more article I'll mention and then... I guess we probably are at the, the top of the hour. Uh, this was one I just stumbled upon, I think, reading some Guardian articles about other topics. It's back from August of 2018. It's called Rain Dancing 2.0. Should humans be using tech to control the weather? And I had never heard of this, but there really is something – I've heard of seeding clouds, right, to increase precipitation. And evidently in Colorado, that's had a big effect in terms of increasing snowfall and, and things like that. There's something called a hail cannon. And so in some areas, like Nissan uh, and a plant in Mississippi in 2005 installed these 20-foot hail cannons, and they have got a video of them. And so it shoots – Um, this hypersonic, you know, loud noises into the sky. Manufacturers claim it disrupts the formation of hail so that it falls as rain or slush. But evidently this isn't verified. And again, I listened to a long Elon Musk interview. And one of the things he'll mention is the idea of geo geo terraforming Mars and geoengineering is this idea that we can, you know, geoengineer our environment, which I think, I think we're doing that, but I don't think we're doing that in a very intentional and responsible way today with respect to uh you know carbon emissions but anyway, pretty fascinating article and if you would look like something interesting to give your students as a prompt for writing that would intersect some interesting technology questions with um you know some other societal political questions then yeah there's there's the article for you so.
0: Well, shall we geek of the weekend, sir?
1: I think so. Well let me start with a quick
0: Excuse me, a quick one. This actually relates to an article we talked about a little earlier tonight. But um, if you are in the market of a new for a new Wi-Fi router, and unless you purchased an incredibly advanced router five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, then you probably should be upgrading your router at some point. Uh, not only is it uh, uh, better able to talk to your phone, tablet, laptop for faster connections, it is probably a more secure environment. But Wi-Fi routers aren't as easy as they used to be, and there are many options, some of which may be great. Great for your space and some not. And I found an incredibly uh, interesting uh, deep dive into this. CNET on September 22nd talks about Wi-Fi basics, especially in light of the fact that there are new Wi-Fi protocols out. They are coded by different names, letters, and numbers, and it's worth your thought and, and study if you are in the
1: market for a new Wi-Fi router. Awesome. And mine is pretty quick. It's this app for your iPhone called Image Size. And, again, we'll have the links to this in the, in the show notes. Um, our daughter Rachel needed to have a precisely 3.5 centimeter by four point or 4.0 centimeter, I think, picture of herself for this application deal. There's we're having this sort of home and home exchange with uh, a school in France, and we're going to be hosting kids at the end of of October, and then have the kids are going our kids are going to have a chance to go in the spring. And so anyway, I needed to get this exact size picture, and it was so cool because I was able to download this, do this all on my iPad. Uh, tell it exactly the print dimensions that I wanted. And then because our, you know, brother inkjet printer works with AirPrint, you know, just send it right from the iPad to the printer and boom, there it is a color print that she needed just in exactly the size. So it's called image size and it's free for iOS. Okay. Wonderful.
0: Well, Wes, uh, I think we're at the end of our podcast. I understand that app is cool, but let's talk about what is this thing? What we've been doing for the last hour.
1: So this EdTech Situation Room thing has been going on now for over a year, and Jason and I basically get to have a conversation for about an hour about the week's headlines in technology news and try to use our lenses of educational technology and being involved with schools and uh, classrooms to talk a little bit about how these things might relate to our roles as educators and the classroom. And if you'd like to follow me, I am W Fryer on Twitter and my blog speedofcreativity.org is where I am periodically posting some things. Not nearly with the frequency that I was back in the early days of the web 2.0 world, but I my new my new idea for a blog post I got to maybe write this this weekend is going to be do you see what i see? And then the subtitle is when it comes to IT, probably not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so one quick note Wes uh, this coming January is the four year anniversary of us doing this which I would have said three if uh, I, I had said off the top of my head but our first episode was on January 27th 2016 so look for our four year anniversary of this January my how time flies um, I am on Twitter at Tech Savvy Teach I blog at the Northwest Council for Computer Education Tech Savvy Teacher blog blog.ncc.org I am not uh, I have or I do not have a a blog post imminent. Um, although I I do have a lot of ideas that I am kicking around myself, but. If you're not just interested in us as individuals, you really like this. This, the EdTech Situation Room is every Wednesday night. We broadcast live on YouTube and on Facebook live at 8 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Central, 3 or 4 or something or another in the morning UTC. But if you are not interested in seeing us live, we are available everywhere, finer podcasts or aggregated, or you can go to our website at www.edtechsr.com, download tiny little itty bitty MP3s, to listen to the podcast or get links to our YouTube channel where you can see the video version of this. Until next time, we say stay safe, stay savvy, and we hope to see you next time on the EdTech Situation Room.